Okay. Who's got chapter verse chapter three? Go ahead, Dan. That he would bring you according to the riches of his glory, be strengthened with power through the Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend all the saints, what is the breadth and height and length and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. So that you may dwell in your hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love. All right, you've got number four. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Don't walk as the Gentiles walked. Then we pick up in chapter 5. And Art talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But, we've talked about this little conjunction a lot. Every time you see but in Scripture, you walk in one way, you're walking in love, but, change directions. But, but, now, go to the paper I passed out, and I've got three verses there. Ephesians 5, 3 and through 5, and in, in, uh, <clears throat> I've printed it out in four different versions. Uh, I like, for this particular thing, the second one, which is the NIV. Let's read that. <clears throat> But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. There should, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, coarse which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immorality, impure or greedy person, such as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. I read that verse <clears throat> I don't know 50, 60 times this 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 week getting ready for this. Nothing I'm gonna to say today is new. You know But we need to come back and hit this again fresh. Because just like the bottle of oxidol box of oxidol, 
we need to be clean. Christians need to be different. And that's one thing that bothers me about the modern church. And I've said it before. Sometimes <clears throat> we don't look any different than the world. We do the same things that the world does. The same things. <clears throat> Paul's going to talk about being pure sexually. Sex was God's idea. Okay? That's okay. It's a good thing. Sex was always and is always in the confines of marriage. One man, one woman, until death. That's what God said. God ordained it, and he put it in play. But through time, from, from Genesis on up to the day, the devil has perverted that and made something that's real beautiful to something that is not as beautiful. <clears throat> I put a quote down there. Um, Live as children of light, Dr. Stedman, which we, he's not a doctor. I keep wanting to make him a doctor. <laughs> he's a pastor. And he died in 1992, so it's been a while, and his observations are, are <laughs> 20 years late. He said, when I was a young man, it was called promiscuity in 1960s. It was called the new morality. In 1990, it was replaced by moral relativism. You have your morality, I have mine, and no one should ever judge or criticize another person's morality or immoral choice. In keeping with the non-judgmental moods of the time, the word promiscuity was replaced by a non-judgmental phrase, sexually active. The slogan of the time has become, if it feels good, Life sentence in that, in that page. Rarely do we see sex issues addressed in our culture from the viewpoint that sex is God's gift to be practiced in marriage. Turn the page. Look at the second scripture I've got there, basically Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> second one there, Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed the flesh of that place. And the Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from man, and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God instituted the first marriage there in the garden when he gave Adam Eve, and he told them, 
may not help me. Here she is. And he said it was very good. Very good. Look on down to the next scripture there on the second page, 1 Corinthians 5. <coughs> it is actually reported that there is immorality among you. Immorality of such a kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles. That someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned. Instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you assemble, and I with you in spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Read the last verse, verse 5. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved Now go back to our first scripture on the first page. Look at verse 5 and next. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy, greedy person, such as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. When we're saved, we're made clean. We're new creatures. We don't act the same way. We don't talk the same way. We're different. We're different. You can't, as a Christian, continue to commit sin and not feel guilty. Are under conviction. If you can do that, that's a big checkup. You need to have a serious conversation with the Lord. Because I don't know about you, but it's just a fraction of a second. When I do something I know I shouldn't do, and I'm convicted of it. My daddy in the faith used to have a little expression that he said, you've heard me say it before. He said, I'm prayed up, paid up, ready to go up. Bill Gothard, in some of his teaching, said a couple of really, really true things to me that has rung my bell. He said, what one generation takes in moderation, the next generation takes in excess. You can see it. <clears throat> you know, Pastor Stedman said these things. We, we, it's like the old rubber band principle. You pull it and you stretch it to the limits and when you let go, it'll never go back where 
And that's where we are today when it comes to morality. <clears throat> you probably saw on Fox News <clears throat> a little bit a few weeks ago, they sent a crew down kind of on City Beach to spring break. And <clears throat> they came back and they said, last year was bad, this year was worse. Anything goes. And we see it on our TV. I was flipping... You, it's hard to find something on TV that doesn't have some innuendos of wrong, wrong motives, wrong sex, whatever it is. It's tough. And yet we've been commanded to be different. And the problem is the devil says to us, it's okay. Everybody's doing it. It's it's the same thing. But we're to be different. We're to be holy people. Peculiar people. Set apart for Him. Set apart for Him. Look at the last scripture on page 2. 1 Corinthians 7. Now concerning the things which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife. And each woman is to have her own husband. And the husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer and come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of lack of control. <clears throat> it's amazing how as we prepare for to teach, that we see things in the news and we see, see things that come across our inbox that say, hmm, <laughs> somebody might understand I need to see this today. Well, Monday, John Piper has a blog called Desiring God. And on the next page, you'll see his blog post for life's money. It is a story that a young lady wrote about her lesbian affair. And it starts off with there what we just said while ago. What is the first sentence? Unbelievers don't struggle with same-sex attraction. Now she's talking specifically about her situation, but what we're going to say applies to every sin we can think of. Every sin. How are we going to defeat these things that keep coming up in our lives? How are we going to be the clean man, the pure man that God wants us to be? He says, don't even have a hint. Not even a hint. 
of immorality. Most of us don't have any problem with that, but he goes on to say, <laughs> he goes on to say, nor should there be any obscenities, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place. If you're in the workplace, it's hard to get away from coarse joking and foolish talk. It's hard to do. As God's child, don't have any part of it. When you see it going that way, leave. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Back to page three. Hmm. She said, unbelievers don't struggle with this particular thing. She, she was an English teacher. And look at the last uh, sentence or two in the first paragraph. As an unbelieving professor of English, you see that? As an unbelieving professor of English, an advocate of postmodernism and poststructuralism, which I don't know what it means, and an opponent of all totalizing meta-narrative like Christianity, I would have to add back in the day, I found peace and purpose in my life as a lesbian in the queer community I have to create. Next paragraph. It was only after I met my risen Lord that I felt the shame of sin with my sexual attractions and with my sexual history. Only after she found the Lord. It says, meeting John Boyne, look at the next paragraph. In these newfound struggles, a friend recommended that I read an old 17th century theologian named John Owen. <clears throat> His books now overcoming sin and temptation. At first, I was offended to realize that what I call who I am, John Owen called in well sin. But I hung in there with him. Owen taught me that sin in the life of a believer manifests itself in three ways. Distortion by original sin, distraction of day-to-day -day sin, discouragement of the daily residence of indwelling sin. And then he goes on to explain, and this fits every sin you can think about. Every sin you can think about. Number one, what is it? Start. Start. Indwelling sin is a parasite. It eats what you do. God's word is poison to sin when embraced by a heart made new by the Holy Spirit. You starve indwelling sin by feeding yourself deeply on his word. Sin cannot abide in his word, so your hearts and minds, so fill your hearts and minds with scripture. <clears throat> if you ever watched um, 
horror movie late at night. Went on to bed and had a bad night. Gothard says, he says, the last thing we should do before we go to bed is pray and read scripture and you'll have a peaceful night. I'm sure the grandmother is everywhere doing this. But my mother said, when I can't sleep at night, I call my children and my grandchildren by name and pray for them. It's amazing what kind of rest you get when you call it by name. What did the scripture say that we read earlier, he says that there's no part of these people who are so supposed to be Christians. He says, for you can be sure no immoral, impure, or wicked person such as an idolater has any inheritance in the human Christ. My pastor in the faith, I'm paid up, prayed up. Every night, before you shut your eyes, if you say, Lord, forgive me of where I missed the mark today and when I've done something, and then ask him this, tell me specifically what I have done. And I promise you, buddy, he will. He said, Bill, you remember this, you remember this, you remember this. And if I stop right there and I ask the Lord's forgiveness of that, what does he say he will do? He will cast it in the sea of his forgetfulness, never to be reminded of it anymore. And I'm clean. I'm clean at that point. Lord, forgive me of these things and bring me to mind so that I can confess it specifically and the Lord will. And then you're clean before him. You're clean before him. Now the devil will come back to you the next day and he says, oh, well, you remember what you said? You remember what you did? You remember this? And he's feeding on the two things that we've talked about many times. The devil's two biggest trump cards are guilt and fear. <clears throat> Our response is, yes, devil, I did. But that's under the blood of Jesus as of last night because I asked him to forgive me of my sin. Go back to page two. Yes. And in praying to Chris, we had to wait three weeks for him to have the test that he needed to have. And praying for him, I would pray and pray. And, you know, as mothers and grandmothers, I, I don't know if the rest of you do not, I question, is there something I did that's, he's sick now or could be sick now, uh, something that I didn't do in raising him, you know. And, <clears throat> 
the week he had his test on Monday, last week, I'd go to bed at night and I'd wake up during the night and Mike will tell you, because he'd ask me the next morning, did you fight last night? Who did you fight last night? And I really didn't fight, but I would wake up. And I would wake up with this on my mind every time. God speaking to me and saying, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. Night after night for a whole week, three, four, five, even six times a night, I would wake up and it's the same thing. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. Well, Thursday night was the last night that I woke up with that because God gave me a peace in my heart that everything was going to be okay. This test that he was going to have on Monday. I just wanted to share that. Amen. We need to just plead the blood and say, Devil, I gave it to you. I gave it to the Lord. It is under the blood. It is under the blood. On the second page, the top of the page, the scripture from 1 John, you, you, like I said, you, you all know all of this. Verse 5. This is the message that we've heard from him and announced to you. That God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. It's amazing how Scripture comes back and reinforces. We we just got through talking. <laughs> There's no darkness in Christ. We're new creatures. Verse six: If we say we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Say we have not seen him. We make him alive. And his word is not <coughs> We have scripture that we can come back to, and he says, I'm claiming this verse. I'm claiming this as being what we need to say. Alright, back to page three. Starting. You starve in dwelling sin by feeding yourself deeply on his word. Sin cannot abide in his word, so fill your hearts and minds with scripture. Page four. A lot of us get hung up right here. Call sin what it is. Call it by name. house. Don't buy a collar. Leash it. 
give it a sweet name. Don't admit sin as harmless, but unheartbroken pet. Instead, confess it as an evil offense and put it out. Even if you love it, you can't domesticate sin by welcoming it into your home. You just can't. Have no part of it. Get it out. If you're going to be the clean vessel God wants you to be, if you're going to be a holy, peculiar people, if you're going to be a new creature in Christ Jesus, you've got to call it what it is and get it out. Look at the past, the last paragraph under that. Be wise about your choice. Be wise about your choice and don't coddle them. And remember, sin is never who you are if you are in Christ. This was the lie she told herself that the lesbian lifestyle was who she was. And yet when she came to know the Lord, no. <laughs> that didn't define her. Christ defined her. The second, that, the next sentence. In Christ you are a son or a daughter of the king. You are royalty. Do not battle with sin because it distorts your identity. Do not define yourself by these sins that are original with your conscious and daily presence in your life. Point three. Again, <coughs> this fits every sin in our life. Start. Call it what it is. Point three. Distinguish indwelling sin by killing Killing. Second paragraph, or second, third sentence. Anything at enmity with God must be put to death. Our battles with sin draw us closer in union with Christ. Repentance is a new doorway in God's presence. Repent. Repent. There's a lot to that word. We need to confess it. We need to repent of it. Say it. And then we need to not go there again. That's easier said than done. Okay? <laughs> It's easier said than done. But we need to do it continually. We need to do it continually. We need to do it continually. Go back to the Word. Go back to calling it what it is and kill it. Kill it. You've been following uh, Franklin Graham's post. And he is the only one that I see in the public press today that's standing up to this ISIS business. And what does he say about it? Kill it. <laughs> that's Bill's paraphrase, but that's what he keeps coming back. He says, you can't coddle it. You've got to kill it. You've got to kill it. All right, look at the last paragraph in that one. But Satan is wrong.
But Satan is dead wrong about the most important matter. In repentance we stand in the risen Christ. And the sin that we have committed and will commit is covered by his righteousness. But fight we must. To leave sin alone, says Owen, is to let it grow. And not to conquer it is to be conquered by it. You that have been following the reading plan, uh, reading through the Bible that David wanted us to read through, and we just struggled through Joshua again, and 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 in Judges this morning, and we he he told them Moses told them he says when you go in the conquer the land, kill it, get everything out of the way. Their idols and everything else. And don't marry those local girls. <laughs> you know, they'll lead you astray. <laughs> and what has happened now? They married the local girls. <laughs> and their heart now is, is far away from the Lord. What she said here is to let sin grow and not to conquer it is to be conquered by it. You can't lipstick powder and paint and it'd be all pretty. It's still sin. Start it. Call it what it is. Extinguish its sin by killing it. Number four. Cultivate your new life in Christ. God does not leave us alone to fight the battle in shame and isolation. Instead, instead through the power of the Holy Spirit, He gives the soul of each believer is vilified. We need to stay in the Word, folks. We need to stay with God's people. We need to run from every appearance of evil. Every appearance of evil. On the last page, page 5, the last paragraph before the author's um, comment, she said, with peace, I found that the gospel is always ahead of you. Home is forward. Today, by God's amazing grace alone, I am part, excuse me, I am a chosen part of God's family where God cares about the details of my life. The math lessons, the spilled macaroni and cheese, and most of all, for the people, the image bearer of his precious grace, the man who calls me beloved, and the children who call me mother. This is your homework for this week. I want you to take this piece of paper, and I want you to read it. Get where you can by yourself, and think about it, and apply it to your own heart. Then I want you to go back to Ephesians 5. And I want you to read the first 14 chapters of Ephesians 5. It'll take you two minutes to read the first four, 14 verses of Ephesians 5. And if you'll do this every day this week, sometime along the, the day, read the first 
14 verses of Ephesians 5. Verse 6, we didn't read it. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly in darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. Okay. Thank you for being with me today. And we'll see what next week brings. Like Art and I have said, when we teach through the scripture, we've got to hit these things. It's not our choice to, to not teach it. <laughs> we've got to go. Okay. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you that a long time ago you made these guys right. We can hold it in our hands. Father, forgive us for failing you. Father, forgiving us for not trusting you and loving you and leaning on you more. And forgive us for these sins that we have coddled and we don't want to call them by name. And we brought them into ourselves. Lord, forgive us of that. And may we be holy vessels unto you. And may we be children of light because if we are in Christ, we are new creatures. Thank you for your love. Be with us as we go from this place. We'll be careful of giving you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it all. It's in Jesus' name we ask you.